0: Let's go, go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, welcome to Making Data Simple. I wish life was as simple as we can make data, but uh, certainly at IBM we're trying amidst a COVID-19 pandemic. The last couple of weeks, we've had part one and part two of the future of financial advising with Jed Chalawi, which was a great discussion. But the interesting thing is that was recorded when the Dow was at 29K. And I was over, I was arguing that it was inflated at that time. So I proved to be right, but that didn't take a, a rocket scientist. This week, we are fully <laughs> engulfed in a COVID-19 pandemic and we have been for a couple of weeks. Let me give a little background to kind of set the stage. COVID 19, it's a respiratory illness spread person to person. I'll just give some high level and I'll go in a little bit deeper here. The outbreak originated in Wuhan, China. The first case that we know of that was reported in the United States was around January 21st, 2020. And as of today, which is April 2nd, the total cases. Reported, again, there may be like 5 million people that have this. The total cases are 213,000, total deaths around 4,500. And that comes from 55 jurisdictions reporting, which is all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, Guam, some others. Um, Emerged from an animal source, transmitted through respiratory droplets, you know, when a person coughs or sneezes, symptoms are fever, cough, shortness of breath, and no vaccine. That's kind of where we are. This is um, probably no surprise to anybody. I, one of the best articles that I read was on Morningstar. Now, this article was directed at the impact on the economy. That's really why it was written. But it talked about projections. And I thought these projections are interesting because this was written March 10th. So we're almost a month out from that. And you kind of see you know what's come to fruition and what hasn't. But in that article, they talked about transmissibility and fatality, the fatality rate versus transmission. And transmission is measured by something that's called R-naught. And if you're like me, you you didn't even know what R-naught was. And now you've watched Contagion like everybody else on Netflix. Now you know what R-naught is. And it's essentially a mathematical term that indicates how contagious or infectious a disease is. You know, it tells you essentially the average number of people who can catch a disease from one contagious person. So if it's if the the disease has an R naught of ten, that means that um, a person who has the disease will transmit it to an average of ten people. So, by example, SARS had an R naught of three and a fatality of greater than ten percent, and that was in two thousand two and two thousand and three. Spanish flu was something like R-naught of 1.75 and a fatality of 10% in 1918 and 1919. We're going to see where we're headed at with COVID-19. They came out with a bull case, a base case, and a bear case. And started with the bull case, real quick, 25% probability we'd be in a bull case. And that would be 0.1% fatality, which is consistent with the typical flu, which has an R-naught of about uh, 1.2%. 5. So if that would hold true there'd be 10% of the global population infected, 770 million people. That'd be kind of in the typical range of a seasonal flu which is about 3 to 11% affected and you'd have 800,000 deaths globally or 30,000 in the US. The 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 base case which is 60% probability has a fatality rate of 0.5% and an R naught of 2 that's five times that of the flu, 20% of the global population would would be infected. That's about 1.5 billion people. That would be more than 200,000 deaths in the US. If it hits the bear case, which is a 15% probability, this would be similar to the 1918 Spanish flu. That assumption would align to 18 million deaths globally and nearly 700,000 in the US. So. Hence the reason the intense caution. A lot of companies are doing a number of different things to help. So is IBM. And one of the major contributions that we are making is what we call a dashboard and a weather channel application. This is where I introduce our guests. Today on the program, I have Bill Higgins. Bill is is a second timer. See, I pick pick him well. He's a distinguished engineer for AI for developers in the data and AI organization. And I have Daniel Benoit, and he's a manager and executive consultant finance and operations around data and governance in the data and governance marketplace here. I'll let them introduce themselves, but welcome, guys. I appreciate you being here. I know it's tough. We already had some logistic issues because we're working at home, but that's kind of why we're here anyway, to, to talk about the disruption that we've had in the world today. Thank you for being here. Yep, thank you. Thank you, Al. First of all, you guys safe? Everybody good in your family? Bill, you good? Yeah, thanks for asking. Daniel? No problem. No problem. You're quarantined at home like the rest of us. You've you've obeyed the rules.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Seeing the data every day and seeing the data that we we collect uh, certainly brings home the need to be careful and to obey the rules.
0: You'll probably scare me even, even further today. I don't mean to scare the guests or the listeners, but uh, look, this is a trying time for us all. I'm very empathetic to everybody listening that has a relative ill or even, God forbid, passed away. Let's talk about the contributions that IBM is making around this dashboard. Is this delivered in a dashboard in a weather channel app? Where can folks get it? Why the hell do we need another app? Why not just go to the CDC?
2: Yeah, uh, maybe I I can start on that one. When this thing was clear that it was going to get out of China and that it was going to become a worldwide problem, we thought, how could we help? You know, what's the big problem to solve? What we realized was that one of the biggest problems was a classic kind of data and AI problem. Risk analysis is driven by good, high-quality information. And with COVID-19, we severely lack good, high-quality information at a granular level. So there's plenty of information at a country level. But if you look at any kind of reasonably sized country, like the U.S., France, Italy, it can be very different if you're in New York versus Oklahoma. It can be very different if you're in New York City versus Western New York. The information was changing all the time. And at that level of granularity, it was just very different, different formats. So it was kind of a classic AI ladder problem. Um, So Seth Dobrin, who's been on the show, who's the chief data officer for our cloud and cognitive division, we got together with him, and he basically went to the top of IBM and said, if we could provide near real-time, county-level information on things like infections, deaths, recoveries, that would help everybody make better decisions about the risks in their area, whether it's citizens, whether it's governments, whether it's schools. We couldn't find that information anywhere that was county level and up to date. And the reason is is because it lives on, you know, in the US, 50 different websites. Sometimes it's on web pages, sometimes it's PDF, sometimes it's literally on graphical dashboards. Seth made a call that we should collect that data ourselves, normalize it, and then make it available in a number of form factors, with the first two being weather.com the weather apps and the Cognos dashboard that you reference that started maybe three weeks ago. And the first MVP went live about a week ago. So that's what we're trying to do near real time data at the county level so that people can make better decisions about risk for themselves, for their loved ones, for their spans of responsibilities. That, that's what we're trying to do. That's the problem to solve.
0: What you're talking about here, Bill, this is not available anywhere else. Not as
2: far as we've seen at that level of granularity. It's it's easy to get country-level data. Um, in some cases, it's easy to get data for like a state. But what we're going for... So right now, where we're at is we've got county-level data for every county in the U.S. with uh, scrapers that run every 15 minutes. And we're in the process of globalizing this so that we could have county-level data for... Europe, for Africa, for South America. I mean, they're not called counties, but the county level equivalents, because it's that level of locality that you really need to understand because the situation would be so different depending on where you live. When we made the decision to try to gather the data at the county level, just starting with the US, we realized in about an hour that it was a natural language processing problem. Because all of the data, it's not like there's a common API for states to surface up COVID-19 information. So what we found was that the data was only available on state websites in HTML, in PDF, in images. And the only way you can have a hope of, of parsing that information with some degree of fidelity is with good natural language processing technology. So we used two IBM products, Watson Natural Language Understanding, and Watson Discovery to parse, in the case of HTML, Watson Natural Language Understanding. In the case of PDFs and images, Watson Discovery, where those tools can kind of read documents at a human level of understanding. And so even though the states might have documents that were only built for humans, our Watson Tech can basically read it to. And then feed it forward into a system where it can be cleansed, normalized, and ultimately presented to people. But that was just the technical side. There were a whole slew of governance issues as well, but that's really Daniel's area.
0: But, Bill, does this take on prediction as well? I mean, can you, like, can we watch it? grow in new york and spread west across the united states
2: there's definitely that that possibility we've held off on doing that so far um because you know when you think about the the ai ladder that collect organize analyze and views collect and organize at a worldwide county level of granularity is super hard so initially we're just focused on that the other thing and again this gets into some governance issues is as soon as you start making predictions about what might happen a pandemic you kind of open up a whole slew of, you know, liability issues that you have to worry about. And so we're, we will only do that with, you know, professional epidemiologists if we go there at all.
0: Makes sense. All right, so back to the question at hand, and Daniel, you're on the hot seat now. The thing I, the first reaction I had when we were doing this, and I was investigating and talking with Seth and, and others, is, you know, what the international and local data governance regulations would be and how we're abiding by those. Am I overthinking it or what have we done in that area or what are we doing in that area?
1: Yeah, so so there's a couple of things are out. you're right. I mean, most people are very you know kind of cognizant of of laws in the United States and generally, you know governments uh, cannot you know copyright or prevent the the reuse of their data. But as you said, uh, it, it varies jurisdiction by jurisdiction. So as Bill said, Every website that we're scraping, we have a set of people, both on my team and working with the legal department and attorneys, where we actually go and interrogate the terms and conditions of those websites and ensure that IBM is is abiding by it. You know, ethically, IBM wants to make sure that you know data that we're pulling in that we have the right to use it, we have the right to pass it on. We're reaching out to business people, attorneys, data analysts from around the world to ensure that you know IBM's gained the proper permission and the proper rights to use to use this data and be able to you know share it with the world
0: well the the one thing about this project is it's proven how fast we can execute anyone can execute when you want to you guys have already been doing this a couple of weeks and we've already got this up and running so i guess where i'm going with this daniel is i can't believe that it took that long though i mean the the, the data must be pretty accessible with the right to be able to express it in the terms we're doing on this dashboard?
1: Um, actually, it's not. As Bill said, I mean, you know, we're, we're reacting fast. And, and if we think about it, that the the government agencies, you know, were acting even faster. There are no APIs. There's no standard way to, to get the data. And one of the things that we're doing from, you know, the work that Bill and I are doing is, I mean, maybe why it's a little bit different than what you see on some you know, some other companies' website is we're actually applying governance and data data quality principles to the data that we're bringing in. We have people, you know, who are writing, starting to write routines to ensure such things as the cumulative numbers are, are going up and they're not going down. The cumulative numbers are, are all over the place. One day there'll be 100 and the next day there are 90. So one of the things that, you know, we're working to ensure is kind of the, the quality of the data that we're bringing in and that there is data quality and, and in fact we still have you know people in the loop to make sure that there's a reasonableness of the data before we publish it out to you know to our customers and, and to the weather channel et cetera.
0: But man you've been able to do that quickly. In the last couple of weeks, how are you doing that so fast if there's regulations?
1: Regulations does not equal fast. No, it doesn't. There are some things that we'd already been building out in the Global Chief Data Office to to support you know the corporate data lake. Um, which is up and running, and basically this this ended up being an extension of that data lake, and being able to extend some processes and technology that we'd already been building um, inside the GCDO, and being able to bre- quickly bring it to to bear on this problem.
0: So I got it, I got it, and so you, you're essentially you got people all over the place working cleansing to make sure that the the data is properly regulated. We're not giving out personal information and that kind of thing.
2: We really pulled together the A team. So, like, you know, Daniel's leader and CDO. When we were pulling together the pipeline team, it's like, okay, chief programmer from Watson NLU, chief programmer from Cloud Marketplace, chief programmer from Watson Core AI Frameworks. So, when you pull together an A team and you focus them on a task, you can move really fast. And we've really got an interdisciplinary A team engineers, governance folks, legal folks, et cetera.
0: You know what's interesting to me about this? In the US, I don't need to tell you guys, people are very conscious of their privacy governance. I can't help but think that uh, the way we're looking at that privacy is changing a little bit on the back of COVID-19. And I'll give you a couple examples. My buddy called me the other day and we were talking about this and everything else, you know, the world's crazy right now. And he was talking about how he was seeing and even sent me a Twitter feed uh, on this where, you know, in China, by example, they're, they're tracking every movement of folks there to see where things are, are going and try to predict and prevent the spread in the future. And he was like kind of troubled with it, but said, you know what, I think maybe we should do this. And then as a side or not, as a side directly related, there's a new study by the Harris poll that says individuals support drastic measures such as cell phone tracking. And I hear this is going on right now, right? Cell phone tracking and access to get some of these metrics to make sure or to see how it's impacting the, the spread of this disease. The question is, is this is interesting, because this is a guy that I know is completely anti-government. And he's talking about this, and he's saying, yeah, maybe. And this is a guy that's anti-government. I can't imagine others. What do you see as the, the short and the long-term implications of this change around data privacy and governance?
1: Short-term I, I think it's difficult because there are already laws in place, like GDPR in Europe, like the California Privacy Act in, in California, and, and there are many other activities and the states were were pursuing in this space. It is going to be interesting to see if they legislatively are turn off the road and either free up or allow some level of additional tracking or reporting. As you said, though, I mean if people are not aware of it. There are already companies that track mobile devices that when you opt in to use location services on on many applications and on on your mobile devices, you do allow companies to track your location and track where you are. IBM is very cautious and, and very clear about what we will and will not do with that data. Kind of be a clash of what people maybe have previously allowed or thought was okay
0: yeah, I kind of said it a little bit rhetorically, not to scare any of the listeners. I hope you guys already know this. A lot of times you're, you're being tracked already, hidden through questions on, do you accept us to look at your data? And all of a sudden they know where you are at any given time. <laughs> but because um, I have seen some of the statistics showing where people are in movement, and then they've given us a grade in a Kansas City suburb, they'll give you a rating of how well you're staying at home given this crisis, which is interesting. I mean, it may be a brave new world when we get through with this, both in traveling and in in privacy, et cetera. Hey, coming back to where we started, one question I didn't get answered, and maybe this is for you, Bill, is I know there's two parts to this. There is the COVID-19 stats dashboard and there's a weather channel app, which is an IBM company. Are you funneling data to both these? Are this the same data or for different use cases?
2: Uh, same data, different, different UIs, different use cases. So basically, the, the data problem is the same, massively fragmented data, um, sometimes untrustworthy data. Like Daniel was talking about some of the quality routines we put in. We saw an instance where one state jumped from 50 deaths to 5,000 deaths. And it was because somebody accidentally typed two extra zeros on the state website for a day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. From an IBM perspective, like the happy cases, it's very embarrassing. The bad cases you cause a panic. And so basically the data problem is the same. So it's about massive fragmentation, um, massive, very different data formats moving targets because states are updating the websites all the time. And then finally, the the need to have these quality checks, which are increasingly automated, but there's a bit of manual checks in them because sometimes the number actually does drop because they had it wrong the day before. The weather maps, which people can find at weather.com slash coronavirus, currently U.S. only, going global the next week or two. Uh, Basically, that shows two things. It figures out where you're at, And it shows the trend for things like infected um, for the county. And then there's this really cool interactive map where you can drill in and see both your area. But like I'm in North Carolina, my mom's in Pennsylvania. So every day I check both North Carolina and then I zoom up north and check out Pennsylvania. And then the Cognitive Dashboard is more of a traditional kind of data visualization in a dashboard. But it runs off the same data because in both cases, you want that granular, accurate near real-time data, it's just different presentations.
0: Well, speaking of real-time data, let's talk about that for a minute. This app is fantastic. If you haven't seen it, you gotta go out and look at it. And you can interpret actions in your own mind just by looking at the patterns that you're seeing. It's real-time data, essentially. Data scraping, you said every 15 minutes, that's accurate and bias-free. Will this change the way that you, ex- I mean, I know you're on the AI side, Bill, and that's what you do on a day job. What have you learned in this and how will you apply that, those learnings to your everyday working after, after we're done here? Hopefully we'll get out of this COVID-19 issue at some point. So
2: the one kind of simple answer is that we definitely hit some data use cases that current natural language understanding and current discovery couldn't deal with. Luckily, since we had the product teams involved, they could quickly update the product models to deal with those use cases. The second thing, though, I think it's kind of proven to me that you actually can evolve pretty gnarly data-centric systems pretty quickly with the right people and with the right architecture. One really key architectural design principle is to allow for the extensibility of the system. So right now, it only has things like the number of infected dead, etc., but we're talking about things like number of hospital beds in a given location because that's going to become really important in parts of the U.S. in a month or two. I mean, in New York, it's already important, but this thing's just gonna kind of like roll out over the next month or two. So it's really about how can we quickly evolve a very data centric system. And that, that's been a real eye opener and it's made us think differently about how we architect our, our commercial AI apps going forward.
0: I mean, the data is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. If you've not seen this dashboard, uh, it's terrific. I mean, it shows you everything everywhere, you know, everything that Bill had just said is stated. Um, it's almost like we're working real time through a compressed version of what we call the latter day AI. And if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me say it many times. It's essentially, data uh, governance, analytics, AI, all compressed into one. You're going to grab data. You're doing it real time. We talked about it. You're putting it in a data lake. You're putting it in analytics. You're pushing visualization. This is a, a case study in and of itself. I got to believe that uh, this is something we can leverage over time here at IBM. Um, How are you using the tool, Bill? I'll start with you because you said you look at it for your family, etc. I mean, what are you getting out of it in terms of actions or what action? Is it just information you're taking?
2: Um, It's more just awareness and kind of have a sense about where people in my kind of like my family sphere, like in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, how their areas are doing. I mean, luckily for, for me and my family, we're all in states where they've been given shelter at home uh, orders. So there's really not that much to do besides just stay at home. So for me, it's really just peace of mind about what, how things are progressing in places. I mean, if I do see like a spike in Pennsylvania, I'll probably let my sister know just for her awareness. But since we're all just staying at home, it's not tri- driving different behavior for me.
1: How about you, Daniel? Anything yeah, different I, from your son? Well... Since I, I'm 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 a data geek at heart when I when I look at it kind of I think maybe Bill can appreciate this as well as you all you know I start visualizing and thinking of other pieces of information that would be helpful to me personally and maybe to my family or friends.
0: This is like the a testament or I don't know if that's the word. This is like the dream of governance. It's like governance all the way through. You, you, you should be in heaven right now because you're governance man. <laughs> what has been the biggest surprise or the biggest challenge that you've
1: had in this endeavor? long-term IBMer. Not my first job, but I've been here for a long time. Really satisfied of how IBM has really come together so quickly with this common goal. There's always some turf battles and, and some turf wars, but all that has gone by the wayside as IBM has united to address this problem, started first internally with as a company and what we need to do for our employees, but as we've expanded that to what we need to do to our broader community um, with our customers and then with the, the public in general. So it's been really amazing watching how the company has has come together on this.
2: So similarly, um, you know, I'm a big kind of software engineering nerd and uh, in software engineering, we've got all these laws And two that I thought would be really tough with this project are are Brooks Law and Conway's Law. Brooks Law being um, adding a person to a late project will make it later. And Conway's Law being that the architecture of a system will will kind of mirror its organizational structure. And um, I think this project has demonstrated to me that those laws are breakable if you have the right level of talent and if you have the right level of willpower. Like we've um, we've been in some conversations talking about system architecture with some very senior architects who've never met each other until this week. Typically, you can imagine those just being very standoffish, very ego driven. And a few times, we've just said to each other, "Hey, every minute or every hour we spend kind of arguing about this fine architectural point could mean additional people getting infected or dying because they don't have the right information." So let's just make a call. Let's go with it. And if, if it seems wrong later, we'll go back and fix it. And so I actually told my team, like, other than the kind of the chaotic nature of the project in the 16 hour days, I don't ever want to stop working this way uh, because it's just bringing people together to solve a problem.
0: I, I preach to my team, autonomy, mastery and purpose, in, in, empowerment, expertise and meaning. It's amazing with that and alignment will do. It's a powerful thing. So you get amazing response, talent, and a sense of urgency. And and I have seen over the last two weeks, this has been absolutely amazing. I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to add. I think we got another podcast we're thinking about for this one as well. But uh, any comments you have there would be great.
2: The, the only thing I'll say on that, which I think people kind of miss sometimes, is that people need to ask questions like, what are the symptoms of COVID-19? So they can kind of get peace of mind, whether they may or may not have it. Um, If you have a doctor answering that question for like a thousand people in the area, that means that that doctor can't be treating patients because he or she is answering that question. So by having the bot do it, you actually free up the expert humans to provide better care to other people. So that's a really important aspect of the solution.
0: I agree. So everybody listening. You know, go check out, we'll put it in our show notes, the COVID-19 dash uh, stats dashboard, as well as the Weather Channel app. You can get that at any app store. We'll put all this stuff in the show notes. Gentlemen, is there anything that we didn't mention that's critical or that you want to make sure that the listeners hear before we adjourn?
2: I mean, I'd just like to reemphasize that, you know, you had two guests on the show. There's literally thousands of IBMers working on this stuff. Just on the, the stuff that became the weather dashboard, I bet there's 200 IBMers working on it as part of their day jobs. So I'd just like to recognize, you know, all the IBMers who are working late nights and working weekends to try to help our clients and trying try to help citizens cope with this kind of historic pandemic.
1: Yeah. And, and I echo what Bill said. Congratulations and thank you to everyone who's doing that.
0: Amen to that, guys. I see people working hundreds of hours a week. I mean, they're not sleeping and i have never seen them more excited than now and and you know that that sounds weird in in the state that we're in but they know they're doing good and that makes a huge huge difference hey let me ask you a couple of things before we go D- just personally you guys are remote both of you guys are at home i presume sitting in your your office you got any tips or tricks for for those listening
1: i mean things that you found valuable to you it is hard you do have to set boundaries and, you know, at some point you got to put the laptop down. You got to close it. You got to go spend time with your family, with your pets, whatever. You do got to make sure that you're, you're disconnecting from all the chaos that's going on around you. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The other thing I'll
2: say is um, one of the kind of the benefits of working on the COVID-19 response is that it gives me less time to kind of obsess over CNN or obsess over Twitter. Because <laughs> So one really good tip I've heard is put yourself on a news budget. 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night, and then just otherwise leave it alone. That can just really drive up your stress level. And then the other thing from a leadership perspective, uh, just remember people are dealing with unprecedented stress because of the situation, because of the the lives being shook up, all of a sudden kids being at home. So if you're a leader, just give your folks some slack. And so I think as leaders, we really just have to be extra careful about giving our folks slack during this, this unprecedented time.
0: I agree. Actually, that's to me, it's kind of refreshing in that it's real. You know, you get to see people. They're real. They've got a- animals around them. they got kids around them. We talked before we began this podcast that one of your kids may run in, Bill. And, and look, I, I think that would be great. Actually, I think that people welcome that kind of stuff. It's normalcy. And I agree with you on the news thing. Although I usually have a screen that's, you know, because I watch stocks and stuff. That's in the background, but like even today, it got to be about well, I think 9 a.m. and I shut it off. I just can't take it anymore. Not because of the stocks, because I can kind of see their mouths and what they're saying is nothing but negative, 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 negative. Um, the thing is, I would say, and, and I hope you guys have, have, have leveraged this as well. I, I don't want to forget that the one good thing is there's a lot of bad things, and we can talk about all the bad things, including you know people passing away over this thing. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. However, right now I get to spend some time with my family They're at home. What I've tried to do, just to answer my own question, our teams are doing virtual beer and banter, like in the evenings where we get together, we talk about our families. And you know, it's funny, when we started doing this, we recognized that we never talk about our families. We never talk about our personal life. People don't know that I have three daughters, right? And now they do, and I think that has made us actually closer as a team so I like that people are embracing it. And I hope it makes us all a little bit more accommodating in the future. You know, we talk about work-life balance, but really it's work-life integration. I hope we learn that moving forward. I'll give you guys the last word. Anything we
1: didn't say before we, we're, we head out? Thank you to Al for having us on. Thank you to IBM, because I think IBM has really pulled together um, in response to this. It really shows the power and the community of IBM.
2: We got to remember that, you know, someday we'll be past this and the world's going to be a very different place when we're past this. And I I think it's, it's very fair to say that we at IBM are trying to make that different, better, not different, worse. So really think about if the world's going to change, how can we make it a better world on the other side of this?
0: Thank you for that. I appreciate you guys being on. Always a pleasure. We'll put your contact information and everything else in the show notes. As always, listeners, thank you for listening. Anything we can do to help, hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Until next time, we'll see you on the podcast. See you all Until next time, let's go over and out.